welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. It's a Thursday night. We've got a real cool guest on our phone, Zoom, Zoom phone. She is a certified massage therapist from California. This is going to be a cool conversation because we haven't really had much of this topic come across our podcast. You know what? Aside from John, the kinesiologist, I can't think of anybody John, the who's... Kinesiologist. What are you talking about? Um, uh, oh my goodness. Oh, connected. John, What's, John, John. Oh yeah, my yeah, goodness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so sorry, John. I'm forgetting the name of his business right now, but it will come to me out of nowhere and I'm just going to scream it in the middle of the episode. <laughs> but yes, as Mark said, hey everyone, it's Amanda. It is Thursday night. I, and about, I didn't we, forget about John. I, I, I'm... I, Connected kinetic chain. Yes, connected chain. Oh man. Anyway, um, we are on the phone or on Zoom tonight with Linda in California, as Mark said. And uh, Linda is a certified massage therapist who um, recently wrote a book. And I'm going to let Linda introduce her book and talk about it. But the topic tonight is working with seniors. So whether you're a caregiver, a body worker, massage therapist, uh, Linda's got some things that she wants to bring awareness to that I think a lot lot of people maybe don't understand fully working with seniors. And um, in her original message to me, she actually introduced herself as a senior who treats seniors. And just now when we got on Zoom, she said, I am a boomer. So I understand some of the things that we should all be aware of as body workers. And, um, you know, she brings up a really good point. We've got an aging population and a lot of us are probably working with um, some older adults. And this is this is a good conversation to Before have. we get into the real conversation, because I'm the one that talks all the shit, I want to know what's the best part of being a senior? Oh, the best part of being a senior is that you you've come through all those times of trying to know who you are and changing and and switching around and trying to just be who you think you should be or who you really are. And I've gotten to where I really am. That is really exciting. I kind of got like goosebumps hearing that because remember I've told you Why? before. Do you, have you not gotten where you are yet? I'm so close. I feel like I'm so. So Linda, I'll give you a little background on me. I'm 37. So I, I keep saying to to Mark, I'm like smelling 40. You know, I'm getting, I'm closer to 40 than I am to 30, obviously. And uh, I think I'm getting to that point of feeling just... Uh, the best way to put it and excuse my language is like, I just don't give a fuck anymore. Like I'm just okay with everything. Like I'm okay with who I am. I'm not trying to impress people, but I like hearing that exactly what you said, Linda, that you get to that point in life where you're like, this is who I am and I'm, I'm comfortable with who I am. And I, I love that. I came into that really early. Did you? Yeah, I did. I think I just didn't give a shit about a lot of things really early. And I just like to do things the way I do things. I found that out really. I think I found myself really early and so, yeah. Okay. Well, that's just awesome. just wondering, just wondering, <laughs> just wondering what the best part of being a senior is. What's the worst part of being a senior? Worst part is probably, in some ways, the way people treat you. Mm. The older you get, the more dismissed you get. And so, I'm speaking louder these days, so I will be heard. Are you identifying a lot with uh, younger generations? Then, because I feel younger generations, I feel like older generations and younger generations are almost the same. <laughs> You're getting dismissed. People just kind of brush you off. Women staring at me like, "What?" No, I'm just listening to you. Oh, okay, I feel I feel like a lot of younger people would say, "We had a 16 year old on our podcast the other day, and you guys, Amanda and Storm, started off by saying this is right now, especially." 
especially with this COVID, you guys are like the forgotten age group. Yeah. And I was like, hmm, okay. What kills me about seniors being dismissed is the fact that we embody decades of not only history, but knowledge, fundamental knowledge. Not, I mean, I we realize that tech and everything is going by so fast that at some point we'll all be out of it. But just fundamental life knowledge. Mm. It bothers me that a lot of people are just taking that to their grave because nobody is really interested. Who do you feel is most dismissive of seniors in your own experience? I mean, obviously you can't speak for every senior that that's out there, but who do you think is the most dismissive? Are we talking about the general public? Is it very young people? Is it, you know, the, the generation that would be like your, your children? Is it medical professionals or is it all of the above? I'm going to guess. If I was to guess an age group, I'm going to guess I'm going to guess mid twenties, mid thirties is the most dismissive. Because they think they seniors. know everything. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, they're they're too busy in the in their own space trying to figure out what they're trying to do, True. And, and and they don't give a shit about anybody else, and that's going to include anybody older. I think when you get to my age, you start to think about, hmm, I'm going to be a senior soon, and therefore you just look at the idea of being older differently, mm-hmm. right? And when you're your age, you it's kind of the same idea. You know, because then you you're you're close to your folks and blah 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 blah. So you kind of you kind of you kind of understand the mindset a little bit. But when you're in your mid twenties to mid thirties, you're not hanging out with your folks all the time. Your folks might not even be all that old, and uh, you just don't give a fuck because you're too busy doing your own thing and trying to get your own shit together. Yeah, it's true. Know? In your in your twenties and thirties is that's the period of life where you have no idea who you are exactly. I mean, some well, people do, as you said, but I think that's or, the or, point where you're established. Uh, Yourself. Exactly. Maybe it's not that I don't know who I am. Maybe I'm I'm I know who I am, and I'm just trying to solidify it. I'm trying to create the foundations for this. I'm trying to to, to lay down the roots type type of thing. Do you know what I mean? I'm in the beginning of what I am. I know what I am. I'm in the beginning. But there are people who just have no fucking clue what they are, and that's absolutely fine too. That's all part of the growth and evolution of being a fucking human. Mm-hmm. Linda, wh- where where do you define senior starting? I don't define it as an age particularly because there are some young people that act like they're ancient. Yeah, that's true. It is. And there are some ancient people who dance in the streets. So it's more of, you can put it at an age, 65, 70, whatever. Mm. I'm 72. Um, I don't feel like a senior most of the time. I think of myself as a senior, except I'm having to these days simply because I'm out there advocating for seniors now. Right. I think that needs to come from a senior. Like I just linked in with somebody on LinkedIn and he was talking about, he didn't understand why boomers, about, I think he said 49% of boomer, boomers didn't trust the senior living industry. And I got on there and I said, if you want to know why, why don't you ask a boomer like me? Mm, true. So before we get into any other discussions like this, because I can, I've got so many questions, yep. um, Linda, for anybody listening, can you give us an introduction? You know, how long you have been a certified massage therapist, and then maybe let's get into what motivated you to go down this avenue and start advocating for seniors and raising can your voice and writing the book. Before all this, with the whole senior advocacy thing, did that only come about when you when you, when you became a senior, or was that happening before? You were a senior. It was starting before. It's actually started 
back in, I'm going to say 2012, 13, when I wrote the book, but I just put it out recently. But but I was just seeing more and more things that needed to be changed. And they still are there. And we'll talk about those, I'm sure, when we get more into the program. But it just it just makes me want to scream going, why don't you talk to us? Who who do you think you're trying to, quote unquote, care for? Right. <laughs> you know? And I've told them I will never be in one of your homes as they stand now. Not that I would want to be anyway, but I would never go. So let's let's introduce yourself, Linda. So um, I'll let you sort of take the lead here and just give everybody a little bit of background about you. And then we can lead right into, you know, you writing the book and what motivated you to start going down this path? Okay, well, I am 72, as I said before, and I have reinvented myself innumerable times over the years, but lots of my experience comes from working with the developmentally disabled for years and years and years in various capacities, up to and including running two group homes and being an advocate for the developmentally disabled, a federal advocate for the developmentally disabled in Hawaii for a couple of years. So that's where my advocacy really got started was over there. So I've done a lot of things in my life, even during the pandemic. That's when I took the book that I already had written but hadn't done much with and updated it and actually got it professionally edited and published and everything. So I just do a lot of things and I went into seniors. That's a weird story, but I'll give it to you real fast. Uh, I went to work with seniors because when I was young, my mom was scared to death of dying. And she was, she would have fit real well on your show. (laughs) (laughs) And she just said, the devil's going to have to come and take me kicking and screaming. (laughs) And as a kid, that scared me because she said it often. It wasn't a one-time one-off. This is why boomers are so much tougher than like my gender. I'm I'm at, oh, I just learned this week, by the way, this is a fun fact that I'm considered a geriatric millennial because I'm in the, that's because I'm in the older um, (laughs) group of millennials. We're considered geriatric millennials. Dumbest fucking title ever. I'm like, I'm not even, I'm not even 40 and I'm getting called geriatric, but okay. Um, But it's so funny when you're saying things like, you know, your your mom would say, the devil's going to come get me kicking and screaming. Like, I grew up around, my grandmother, I 100% would have said something like that. Like, you say your mom would have fit well on my show. I think my grandmother would have felt uh, fit very well on this show. And so I grew up around that kind of environment. You know, it was, I think, like, that's why your age group and Mark, Mark's a Gen Xer, um, you guys are just, like, tougher. I feel like us millennials were such wimps. We're just wimps. We're coddled. We're still coddled. <laughs> well, that's that's part of it. It's definitely part of it. Scared of dying? Are you scared of dying? Me? Am yeah, I scared you. of I'm dying? Staring at you. You're staring at me. Um, I, I, that's a weird question to answer. Wait, okay, because why is I, it weird? Because I don't think 
about dying on a regular like it's not something that comes into my mind regularly okay you know it's i'm here i'm living i'm i'm living like presently i don't think about dying sometimes i don't even think about like future so much i don't think about like what it's going to be like to be 72 like that doesn't ever cross my mind maybe that's weird maybe it should but it it doesn't i literally like never think about it every so often when something happens that maybe i realize oh that could i like i could have died there um then yeah i guess i would feel a little bit afraid but i think i feel afraid because i have very young children so the fear is more like if something happens to me, who's going to take care of my kids? Linda, what are your thoughts on this topic? Well, I remember crashing when my son was six months old out in the desert, California desert, lying on the road. And I'm not particularly religious by any means. I'm basically agnostic, but I remember bargaining with whatever God may be. And say, I don't want to die here. I have a six-month-old baby. And I want to be there for him. I said, you can take me any time after he's an adult. Just let me get him there. Yeah, I'm, I'm with Linda. Those are my thoughts. Like I, like I said, I don't regularly think about dying. But if there's ever a scenario where I'm like, shit, like I could have died. Then suddenly I so, get like, oh, my God, like I can't die and not be there for my kids. Then I get scared. So after after a moment like that, do you do you find some sort of divine being in the in the world? Or is it just like, well, that that, that helped me get through that moment. And I still think the same way I thought before. I still think the same way I thought before. But I do believe there is a force. Uh, It may be just us and positive thinking or whatever. I do not know. But I do believe that there are things in the universe. I wouldn't call them gods or anything, but just energy in the universe, I guess, that you can call upon. Mm -hmm. Mark, you're the only person who hasn't answered this question. Mm -hmm. Are, Are you afraid of dying? Am I afraid of dying? It's weird. I don't know. Yes, I'm afraid of... T- no, yeah, I don't know. I really don't know. See, it is a strange question. <laughs> it's not a strange question because I can answer it a whole bunch of different ways. Um, do I like the idea of dying? No, I don't. Am I, I'm not ready to go lights out because I'm not the type of person that thinks anything else other than there's lights out, right? I don't know what that means, but that's what I think. Did that even make sense? Did you understand what I said there? You should see my eyeballs <laughs> right now, Linda, because Why? you know we, we well we mentioned God and religion. Yes. Mark and I were both raised like Catholic and like pretty hardcore Catholic, like went to Catholic school. Yes, yes, yes. And so I've never heard him say that he doesn't believe there's anything after death. I'm not saying, that's not what I said. (laughs) That's not what I said. If there is anything, whatever it might be, is not me in my conscious mind having having thoughts and understanding what I'm doing. Like, you see what I'm saying? Okay. It's lights out, literally. Like, whatever, whatever electrical activity is going on in my brain, which is allowing me to feel and think certain things, is going to turn off. And therefore, it's zip, nothing, right? So there's no good place. Non-existent. It's, it's non-existent. <laughs> Did you ever watch that series? with you... The Good Place? Linda, I'm asking you, did you ever watch The Good Place? No, I haven't. Okay. There was a whole uh, series with, what's that actor's name? Ted Danson? Yeah. And it was about, um, it was about the whole concept of like heaven and hell sort of, but it was The Good Place. All of the good people on earth would go to The Good Place and everybody else would go to The Bad Place. I don't necessarily buy all that. That's why, this is this is completely off topic, but remind me to come back to what I was saying about if I'm scared of dying or not. That's why I 
get really hit hard when people I know are are going through something really bad and they try to take their own life. Yeah. Right? Because for you to choose it because I, I like I said, I think it's lights out. That's it. It, it's, it there's there's nothing. You become zero. You don't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. And then for you for you to be in such a place where you would choose to not exist versus go through whatever hell you're going through and try to make better and blah, blah, blah. You choose non-existence. That is a place that I cannot comprehend at all. Yeah. So am I scared of dying? I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not ready for the lights out moment. So if, I don't know if that makes me scared of dying because then I wouldn't do things that are risk-taking. So for example, I, I ride motorcycles, right? So that's, that's, that's risk-taking behavior. Mm-hmm. So if I was truly scared of dying, I don't think I would do things like that, but I'm not ready for lights out. If that, does, does that make sense? You're staring at me again like, <laughs> like I got fucking five heads. I'm listening. I'm listening. This is this is a topic that it's not just like, so okay, I, I get I'm, it. It makes sense. I don't like, know if I'm scared. Scared is not the word. Okay. Right? I'm, I'm not afraid of that. I'm just not quite ready. Okay. Uh, but I am afraid of or not afraid. I can't figure out what the right word is. Afraid is a little too extreme. But I am not fond of the idea of any type of kind of hard like suffering do you know what i mean progressively getting worse or whatever the case is mm. i'm not a fan of that idea that freaks me out a little bit or not being not being in my head right this not being a sharp like that kind of stuff trips me up a little bit I know. Um, now I've just I'm a downer. Sorry. <laughs> I'm a Debbie fucking downer right now. No, no. <laughs> no, no. You're not Downer, what it is, is that's what I needed to see. That's what I needed to be around. That's what I needed to get over my mother's fear that she had instilled in me. I needed to be around people who were getting to such a point that there was no point in their being here anymore. Mm -hmm. What did that do for you? It just makes it easier for me because if I get to that point, I don't want to be here either. Right. There's nothing I can contribute. There's nothing I can give anymore. There's nothing... That I offer anybody anymore but a shell. Right. So your mother's extreme fear of death, the way that it, I just want to make sure I'm making sense of this. Her extreme fear of death, of course, instilled an extreme fear of death in you. But seeing people get to that point where, as you said, there's nothing left. They're not, they're not living. You know, they're existing. They're not living made your fear decrease a little bit because you realize when you get to that point where you're just existing, you might as well not be existing. Exactly. I, I don't think it's just straight lights out. But again, this is just a thought because Lord knows what it really is. Mm-hmm. I haven't been there. If I have, I don't remember it. <laughs> it. To me, it's just your energy is now transferred to the world's energy or the universe's energy. And it recycles into new life and wind and just all the energy that there is around us because energy doesn't ever die. Mm-hmm. energy is always there. So if we die as a physical being, to me, our energy has just gone back into the world to be redistributed. So many, so many thoughts, but I want to, I want to get on topic. Linda, you, you sort of started giving us the, the whole background, your mother's fear of death, you know, was sort of the beginning of your story and how, and, and I guess what shaped your 
your thought process of of aging and death and all of those things. So continue on and and take me through this whole path and how you got to where you are now. Well, I knew obviously at a very early age that I was going to have to work with seniors if I lived long enough to get there. And I worked for many, many years with the developmentally disabled and saw things there that I wouldn't want to live through either. There's a lot that you just, as a healthy person, you don't think of them in some cases when they're really severe as wanting to be on the planet, but many of them are happy. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a toss-up, I guess, but it, it had to be with seniors. I had to get to seniors before I could really see what I needed to see, which was the end of life and the end of being, of having productivity and things to offer, and it was time to go. Mm-hmm. And that has helped me a lot. Before people get to that point, that's kind of where I do the massage, although I have massaged somebody out. (laughs) But usually it's people who have Parkinson's or fibromyalgia or lupus or something. Massaging somebody out, was that a planned thing? Yes, that was. She actually died about an hour after I finished with her, but her son who didn't know me from Adam, but I worked at that particular facility. They had brought me in to do gentle massage on her feet as she was through in the process of dying. And again, that was very good for me. These things are what I needed to transition my own thoughts and process. So it wasn't a bad thing at all. And I was very at ease with it, actually. I really love and enjoy working with seniors, too, because... Very, I get some nasty ones every once in a while, but most of them, the vast majority of them are so kind and so sweet and they really appreciate what I do for them. Mm-hmm. And it's, I, I've worked with younger people and you can get cussed at, you can get all sorts of things for, for no particular reason other than they had a bad day. Older ones don't usually do that. They're really happy because they don't get enough touch. They don't get enough really good touch to where they're feeling better, they're more relaxed, they're getting better oxygen flow through the body, they're getting better everything. And right now I've got a client, God, she has to be in her 80s. (laughs) She's rather funny because she keeps telling her daughter that she really doesn't think I do that much for her. But the daughter goes, but I see it when you leave. She's sound asleep. (laughs) <laughs> and she needs that sleep. <laughs> You're bringing back so many memories for me right now, Linda. Like as I'm listening to you talk, I like I understand why you would want to work with seniors, and I understand. Oh, I, I was thinking I couldn't work with seniors, and I was going to ask you your opinion on this. So there's there was two things that you were talking about that just brought back really good memories for me. So the first one was you were talking about how you worked with people um, with developmental disabilities. So um, I did that when I was in my early 20s. I got a job working for the city of Toronto and I was coordinating recreational programs um, initially for clients who had mostly cerebral palsy. And then the the next couple of years, I worked with um, clients who um, were on the spectrum with autism. And those three years that I worked with these clients, most a lot of them lived in group homes. They were, you know, teenagers and young adults. 
it was like probably one of the most rewarding jobs I've ever had. And, you know, as you said, there were some things that I, I thought the same way you did where I was like, oh my goodness, like I, I don't think that I would, I would be happy like living with this much struggle. But most of my clients that came to the program were, they were just super happy and, you know, very grateful to have me and the other staff there, you know, doing what we do for them. So we would take them swimming with the the clients that had autism. We were working with them to learn things about like managing money and cooking simple recipes and taking them grocery shopping and learning how to use public transit and like these kind of things. And even though they had like a lot of, you know, a lot of things they had to deal with, they were all just super happy and super grateful And then after becoming a massage therapist, I was working um, at a school as a clinic supervisor, and we would do outreaches at uh, a nearby nursing home. And so there were regular clients who would sign up for the students to come give them massage. And so I would sort of do my rounds and, you know, come and supervise the students. And there were a few clients I had there that were, um, there's one in particular that I can remember. She was, I think at the time, I want to say 89. And when we would go there, she'd flag me down. She'd see us coming in and she'd flag me down in the hall and just to say, don't forget about me, dear. I'd like my massage today. And so I'd bring a student in to see her. And most of the time we were there, she was just happy to have somebody there, like you said, with the positive touch and to tell us stories about her life before living in the nursing home. And she would get so excited to see us. And it was it was so fun to go there. I loved it. We were taught in my school to make people be quiet and just relax. And they couldn't relax if they were talking. Well, I threw that out the window almost immediately because I had my seniors and they need somebody to talk to. I have a master's in counseling psychology. So I wanted them to talk if that's what they needed to do. Mm -hmm. And they do. Not always, but a lot of them do because who else is going to listen to them? Who else spends 30 minutes to an hour with them constantly? It's true. Like, I mean, in the nursing home, I'm sure that the nurses and PSWs that were there were great, but they're doing rounds. They're taking care of, you know, a whole bunch of clients at one time. They can't sit and have a conversation with each person for an hour. It's not going to happen. And this brings me to one of my problems with the senior living homes. When I worked with the developmentally disabled, they had individual service plan meetings where everybody who had anything to do with that client, including the client, were there in a meeting. So we could all discuss what we knew from our individual vantage points and professional viewpoints, what that client needed. And the client was there to tell us what they wanted from their life and from all of us. We put together a whole big plan for this person. In the senior living homes, at least here, uh, they don't do that. It's called a nursing plan. Well, hell, I don't want a nursing plan when I go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you want a living, you want a living plan. You're still living. Living plan, not a nurse. I mean, it even sounds bad. I've been trying to get it through people's heads that as a vendor myself that comes into the homes to do a massage and to leave, nobody asks me for my opinion of what this person could use. Nobody even realizes I'm there half the time. I'm just a ghost coming and going. So is that your primary, like, we didn't even actually get into that. when, As a massage therapist, is that what you do? You go into nursing homes as a vendor and you treat the people that live there? I treat the people who want me there, yeah. Okay. And it's usually more the, more the 
less nursing homes, although I have been in a few nursing homes with clients before, but mostly it's uh, either Alzheimer's and dementia or it is um, assisted living, those kind of things, or maybe even independent living if I'm lucky. Then I also have private clients outside that I've had for a decade or more, but uh, those are very limited compared to the others. How do you not bring it home with you? This is what I was going to say before. I can never do this work because I would just bring it home with me all the time, oh, all the time. I used to work at Camarillo State Hospital before they closed it and when I was young. And that I took home with me all the time. I'd be driving out their little windy road back to the main road and be thinking of John or Jill or whoever it was and their problems. And And one day I just told myself, you got to cut this out. You've got to stop. As soon as you hit the road going out, you got to stop thinking about that and think about what you're going home to. And I was able to shut it off. And it, the longer I shut it, was able to shut it off, the more of a habit it became. And I don't take things home. I haven't for decades now. But that's another part of being older that I like is I learned to shut that stuff off. You don't think you could shut it off, Mark? No, I, I don't think I shut it off ever in my life. I don't know, maybe, but not now, that's for sure. It is really difficult. Like I said, when I when I worked with the clients with cerebral palsy or, you know, the the ones who had autism, I was only there for I think it was 3 3 summers that I I did that job, maybe 4, but I remember one summer one of my clients, she was actually she was 37. She was my age right now. And uh, she was uh, had a developmental disability. Her like we used to get like their their medical history and everything. It didn't specify what it was, so I, I don't know that it was any like particular diagnosis. But she used a wheelchair. She was nonverbal. Um, she was the funniest woman, though. Like once you figured out how to communicate with her, she was actually really funny. But not a lot of people understood what she was what she was saying or doing most of the time because um, she she didn't really speak. But one summer, she just didn't show up. And I remember calling the the coordinator of the entire program who would send me my clients and asking, where is she? And she told me that she had passed away in the winter. And I remember like probably for three weeks just being a disaster. Like it, it, it's, it's, it's really hard not to bring it home with you. Like I was expecting to show up that next summer and have her there and she wasn't there. And all I could think about was her sweet little um, senior parents who used to bring her to the program. They were so wonderful, like everything. It was just really, really difficult to not, to not take that home with me. Well, it's really, really necessary to eventually not take it home with you because it, it, then colors what you're doing it with your own family and when you're home. And I think that's what clicked for me was that this is not good for me to take it home to my family because then I'm not the person I should be and I'm not there wholly with them. Yeah, absolutely. If you're going to do this type of work. You have to be so self-aware. You do. Oh my gosh. Way more than I'm ever capable of. Maybe that's the problem. <laughs> Maybe you don't give yourself enough credit, oh, Mark. Holy jeez. <laughs> well, thank God there are people like you because... It's not me. I'm honest. It's not me. That's the beauty of massage, though, right? Like this this entire profession, the beauty of it is there are people who are 
excited and willing and capable to work with all different sorts of populations. So, you know, the seniors in California, they've got Linda. And so, yeah, Linda, you were going to say you you have a story. Tell us a story. For Mark's benefit, I don't know if it'll do him any good or not. One of the stories in my book, because it's sprinkled with my personal stories as well, to kind of emphasize points. And I was emphasizing exactly that, that you need to contain yourself in situations where somebody dies or something happens. I walked into one of my, uh, it was an Alzheimer's dementia place. And I, I'm pretty matter of fact. So I was going to my first client, couldn't find him anywhere. Finally walked back into the main room and I said, where's so-and-so? Oh, well, he died. Oh, okay. So I took a deep breath. And I saw his wife and people there, so I gave my condolences. But my thought there is, I've got other people there. I can't stop and deal with that in my brain right now because I've got other clients who are depending on me. And they may need to talk and deal with it as well. Even if they do have dementia, not all of them are that bad, you know? Mm-hmm. So I went to look for my next client. Couldn't find her. And I went round and round and round looking for her because she usually didn't go too far. And went back to the main room again and said, okay, can't find her. Where is she? She fell, broke her hip. She's in the hospital. Okay. I didn't expect her to ever come back, but she actually did. You run into these situations and you have to be professional. You have to keep going because there is no real choice at that moment in time. If you want to deal with it later, that's great, but you've got to put it in a bucket somewhere and deal with that bucket later. Yeah, that's a hard thing to do for some people. Yeah, I can't. Like when I was in school, I was in massage school and we we were, we had to do outreach. And one of the outreach places that I signed up to go to was a rehab hospital in Toronto working with acquired brain injuries. Mm -hmm. And one of the patients at the time was a young When I say young, I'm saying she was a college-age student, a university-age student. She was in some school in the States on a basketball scholarship, and she was doing her master's in religious studies, and she had a stroke. Mm. And then I was treating her, and then I went to treat her one of the weeks, and they're like, no, she's not here. She had another stroke and passed. And I'm like, oh, my God. And I take that that with me everywhere still. That was freaking like 16 years ago. Yeah. Right. And that that's lingers with me all the time. Yeah. And I guess that's some of I the stuff, as you said, Linda, that you address in your book. So what what is what is the title of your book? Actually, let's talk about the book a little bit. What is the title of it? And can you give people an idea of um, why it's important and who would find value in this? Well, the title is The Spirit Method of Massage for Seniors, Raising the Bar, a Primer for Massage Therapists and Caregivers. I saw a hole in what was being offered, and I also wanted to address both sides of the equation here. So it's a very simply written, it's not full of jargon. It's if if there is jargon and there is some, it is defined so that people outside of our profession know what I'm talking about. I talk about just seniors in general. I talk about physical issues and pathologies. I talk about informed inspiration, respect, infirmity and identity, which is my favorite chapter. 
because a lot of people don't realize, even though I guess intellectually they might be able to put it together, but they don't realize it on a, they don't internalize it. I guess that's the word I want. When people have something drastic happen to them that changes their life, it changes who they believe they are. And that causes a lot of issues psychologically. And people just see people and just go treat them like everybody else when there's some heavy-duty psychological things going on with these people. Mm -hmm. And I don't see people offering psychological help to these people. Uh, They come into the senior living space with Parkinson's or whatever, and I've never ever heard of anybody getting any psychological help for any of this. Now, I'm going to speak from a personal space. I fell last summer and I did a head plant, a face plant right in asphalt. Uh, my, my glasses were jammed into the bridge of my nose. I broke my nose. I looked like I had been in, in a ring with a prize boxer when I got up. I didn't realize it at the time. I thought it was simply a broken nose and nobody found anything else at the hospital or anything. So I was just thinking that's all I had. I did notice that I had a little tiny gray spot in the very corner of my right eye. I figured because the nose had been shoved over a bit that I was just seeing a shadow piece of my nose I had never seen before. (laughs) So I was not really concerned about that little tiny black spot or gray spot. Until about eight weeks later, when it exploded and became, I was becoming blind in that eye real fast. Oh, wow. I ended up having to have emergency eye surgery for a retinal detachment and three retinal tears. Oh, my goodness. My sight in that eye has never been the same. So this is what you're talking about, this really big incident that has now permanently changed yeah. you. And so obviously, there's going to be psychological effects from this? I'm not so bad simply because I can still see. The guy did save my eye. It may not see like yours or like my old one did. I see I have double vision. I have fuzzy vision and I have what used to be jagged is now smoothed out to waves. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that eye is rather odd and it took me months before I would drive. But I've learned in that in those months, I learned to focus on the left eye and what it was seeing and kind of disregard the craziness my right eye was doing. My insurance agent has just one eye as well. That's good. And she says hers is more like I guess like a fly's eye where she sees many, many visions of one th- of what's ahead of her. Wow. And so she she's learned to ignore that eye. The human body and the brain is so fascinating. Like you've got this one eye that sees double vision and fuzzy and blurry and your brain's just like, okay, no big deal. We have one good eye. Let's just focus over there. Incredible. It took it a while to do that. It took me a long time. Like I, I fell July 29th. And it wasn't until the end of January that I started driving again. Okay. So, but when you have something even more, I mean, I can still function, mm-hmm. but somebody who says, who say gets Parkinson's. And by the way, I have the genetic gene for Parkinson's. I also have the genetic gene for Alzheimer's. Uh, I've had my genetics done. So, and then taken to a nutritional analysis. So 
I've done all that. So I know what, what's in that, in the package, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I also know how to keep it at bay as much as possible. So I'm doing all that, but it's the body, the mind. I mean, if I really had Parkinson's, I know what that road entails because I've worked with several people with Parkinson's over the years. I had my last Parkinson's client died just as the pandemic was getting going nicely. He didn't die from the pandemic. He died of his Parkinson's, but nonetheless, I know that road and I really don't want to go down that one. Mm-hmm. A lot of people can't cope. Yeah. So for, for us body workers, like we, you know, you started this off by saying that, you know, this chapter's one of your favorites because there's not a lot of psychological help for these people. And as you said that, it's sort of just a light bulb went off in my head where I was thinking, you're right. Like my grandfather, uh, before he passed away, we found out maybe, I don't know, a year, a year and a half before he died that he had been living with uh, Lewy body dementia and it was diagnosed as Parkinson's because he was he was, um, my mom was sort of the person who was caring for him most, like out of, in her family. And so she would go see him every Thursday and she would help him clean his apartment and she'd make dinner for him. They'd have dinner together. And he was like having these hallucinations because of the dementia, but he wasn't telling her because he was still like with it enough to know that if he told her, He'd probably then lose his independence and have to go, you know, into some sort of home or, you know, he. So when it finally came out, she said to him, why didn't you tell me? He said, because I knew if I told you, you'd tell the doctors. And even once that diagnosis was made, though, it was it was literally exactly what he didn't want. He then had to be put in the hospital because he, you know, his the the symptoms of Lewy body dementia are very similar to Parkinson's. You know, like he had the tremors and he he it was he was having difficulty even just walking from his bed to the bathroom. So then he had to be put in a hospital and wait for a bed to open up in like a long term care home, which is exactly what he didn't want. And in that whole process, I don't remember there ever being talk of him, you know, talking to a psychologist or any any sort of like mental health professional to talk about like how are you dealing with all of this it was all doctors and nurses and medical and you know how do we make sure that he stays alive not how do we make sure that his quality of life is is intact exactly and i i just don't see that being done when i was running the united cerebral palsy homes um i had two homes of 15 beds at one time we had one client attempt suicide and we had a psychiatrist or psychologist I forgot which the guy was but he was with us anyway he worked with our clients on a regular basis so he came in and started working with staff and clients to keep us all together we had two more try and do that it's like it started a domino effect in those that were depressed so but I've not seen that anywhere else. That's a big hole then, because as you said, like there's, it, it's now like all making sense where at the very beginning you said, you know, you're, you're speaking loudly because people tend to ignore seniors. Even that, like we constantly talk about mental health, like that's sort of like a buzzword these days, everywhere you go. Well, why aren't we talking about 
mental health for seniors. So what, because they've, they've lived their whole life, their, their mental health no longer matters. Like I, 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 I never really thought about it until you said that. And that's sort of crazy to me, especially in the last years of your life. Like when, you know, when we're talking about the patients who are like in their nineties, that wouldn't we care how, you know, the quality of their life for their last years, like they, it's, it's so sad. This, this episode is making me sad, Linda. That's so sad. I'm sorry to make you sad, but I just want to bring awareness. Well, I mean, you are, you're making me very aware of how backwards that whole system is that we're not thinking about the mental health of people who are literally in their very last years. And that is tragic and needs to be changed. And you know how many alcoholics there are that are old? There's lots of them. Oh, I bet. It's something that you don't really think of. And so when some of these new homes are being built with bars in them, I look at the people and I go, are you trying to feed the alcoholics or <laughs> what? Although it would probably not be any better to deprive alcoholics of alcohol completely. It might not help. I mean, if there's nothing there to actually help them deal with the addiction, might as well at least let them have a drink. The problem is it's not just one and it can disturb the whole community. Yeah. I had a client in a home who would constantly complain about a lady just a few doors down that would just get rip roar and drunk and make life a living hell for everybody. Oh boy. Well, what I was going to ask you then is, you know, for, for us that are body workers, you know, working with, you know, psychology is completely out of our scope of practice. Like, yes, people come to us and it helps them with their mental health, but that's, that's not what we're here for. How, how does your book address areas that we should be aware of? Oh, there's a lot of them. You do know we can kill people, right? <laughs> Especially seniors who complain about uh, deep calf ache, and that's thrombosis, which is throwing, a, giving people a stroke probably down the road if you if you lose that clot. And you need to have them go to the doctor so that you both know whether it's a clot or not. That's something that a lot of people don't know that you can do. But we are capable of throwing a clot for somebody, and that's not good. We'll probably never know we did it, and they'll probably never know we did it, but we can do it. Uh, you have to be careful with so many things. Seniors have very thin skin in many cases, not all cases, but many cases. Uh, one of the things, I, one of the little tips I'll give you that I don't think is in the book, because I just discovered it this last winter, my book was already pretty much out by then. We Here in Southern California, we get the Santa Ana winds. And being a senior, I can get very dry skin. And it, my legs become really itchy. And I can flood them with oils and creams, and it just doesn't matter. But I discovered something this year that makes it all feel so much better and I can sleep. And that's CBD. <laughs> Oh, CBD. I I was one of the probably one of the first to use CBD massage oil with my clients. And so I have some. And so I put it on my legs and it's got menthol and camphor, which some people can't deal with too well, but most people love. And I put that on my legs and it was like instant relief. Well, here in uh, here in Ontario, we're not allowed to use CBD oils, but um, I'm really happy when I hear that people are 
uh, looking into this as an option. I can't recommend it. It's outside of my scope. We can't use it. But um, I mean, me as a person, not as an RMT, I, uh, I'm i all for CBD. And I think there's a lot of benefits to it. Well, my clients really love it for the most part. It was interesting when I used it on my son who was having some issues. He's in his 50s. For some reason, there are some people that react to camphor and menthol kind of strangely. And he he's one of them, apparently, because he just felt like he was on fire. Now, the guy that hired me to take his mom out of, you know, out of this world gently. I put it on him and he was freezing cold. But they're the only two extremes I've ever had. The seniors themselves have never complained one way or the other. <laughs> so I don't know what that's about strange systems, but... Uh, uh, one of the things that I, I do that I don't know of too many other massage therapists do, and I do it again because I learn from this body, being a senior myself and having things go funky with this body, I have learned a lot. And one of the things I do is I really look at feet because feet are your foundation. And if your feet are not in good shape, neither is your structure because you're doing something wrong. I have very flat feet. Uh, so I need supports. People with high arches have the opposite problems with knees and hips. Uh, with, with flat feet, you're pulling all the center of your body down to the floor. And the out, outer sides are being contracted while the ins, inner portions of the body are being pulled down. And it's the opposite with high arches. So either way, you're pulling all your joints out. And it's, it depends on which way you're pu pulling them, but you're pulling them out. So I look at feet and I try to work on feet quite a bit and see if I can get them lined up better with the hips and everything. It's feet are one of my focuses and it's feet because my feet got so bad. And I see seniors that don't have any supports and they wear these completely flat slippers or shoes. And then you wonder why they're in pain and you go, well, you've got, you're not supporting your body correctly. So everything's out of whack and nobody's going there either. Feet are important. Definitely. And bones. Uh, if, if people are having a lot of dental issues, start checking out the bones because teeth are bones. Bones are teeth. And you, if you're having dental problems, and again, this was, something this body taught me, not school. I Just before we moved to Hawaii, where I became the federal advocate, I suddenly had a lot of dental work, and I don't usually have dental work. I'm usually pretty good, but I had a lot of it, and I didn't know why. I didn't understand that. About a year and a half into our Hawaii stay, I fell down some stairs and broke the bone that goes to the little toe in the foot. I was over 50 at that point, and the doctors were saying it wasn't healing as quickly as they'd like and all that, but they never, and I'm over 50, and they never talked about doing a bone scan. So I finally said, well, are you ever going to do a bone scan? I'm over 50, you know. And they found osteoporosis. And most of our seniors, especially the little females and some of the males, I, it comes in both sexes, but females get it more, it seems. 
you see them all bent over, hunched over, and that's the collapsing, in many cases anyway, it's the collapsing of the spine inward. It, it collapses from the front so that you just start collapsing in on yourself. When you collapse in on yourself, you are compressing the lungs, the heart, and all the organs. So they function more poorly. If you're going to be doing massage on these people, try to open them up a bit because these poor people are so hunched up and they're not going to get any better because they're not feeding them correctly. That's one of my other issues. Well, it sounds like there's a lot of stuff in your book that, as you said, you're just bringing awareness to things that seniors deal with, things that you see, things that their bodies go through, their minds go through. And for caregivers, for body workers, and really just for anybody who is dealing with seniors, these are things that, you know, even some of the things you said tonight, as I said, I never really thought about it until you brought it to my attention. So it's, I really, I actually feel ashamed of myself for that, because I always felt like I was, you know, pretty pretty aware of these things. I've got a lot of senior clients and I, you know, some of the things you're saying, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, I get that. I, I totally agree. But some of the stuff I just never really thought about. So I think this would be um, a really good read for people who are working closely with seniors, or even if you're not, because there, there are a lot of seniors in our population. And it's it's a shame to think that we're just sort of brushing them aside when really they need our help. And, and as you said before, they have so much history and so many stories and so, you know, so many interesting things that we could learn from them. And um, it's sad to think how many of them probably feel like they're just being completely ignored and brushed aside by the rest of society. So I'm glad you're doing what you're doing, Linda. And um, for anybody that's interested in picking up your book or, you know, wants to learn more, how can they do that? Well, they can get it on Amazon, but if you want, you can go through my website and that way you can learn a bit more about the book before you jump onto Amazon. And my website is loveyourlongevity.com. And the book is there. Some of the reviews are there as well. So far, it's gotten all five stars. I have another one that just came in today. Uh, let me, do you mind if I read you that one? No, go ahead. I was kind of amazed at this one because I thought if anybody was going to knock the book, it would be somebody with a doctor in front of their name. This is Dr. Cynthia Hickman. And she asked for a copy of the book, so I sent her one. And she goes, well, Linda, I think you did a fantastic job with your book. You do not need my input. It was easy to read and impressive focusing on the whole person. I think this approach should be the standard. Mind, body, and spirit are not islands. Thank you for sharing with me. And she's a PhD, RN, MSN, ED. That's a lot of letters. Undergraduate nursing professor, community and nutritional health practitioner, and National Society of Leadership. And let me scroll down. Success scholar. Amazing. Well, I think that she hit the nail on the head. And the idea that, I mean, it's, again, it's a buzzword amongst um any any practitioners or even just in society right now is treating treating people as whole people you know like we don't just look at the body in terms of mechanics it's body mind everything all combined together so it's it makes absolute sense that that is 
is how we should be treating everybody. So including seniors. And, you know, I know that Mark won't be able to do this work, but I'm so happy that you are and that there's people who who want to get into this this market because there's there's a lot of seniors and they they need us. They need our help. They do. And they get left alone a lot. They get one of my problems with the big old, I don't know about what they're doing in Canada, but down here we're getting these huge, almost like city buildings full of seniors for a senior living facility. And they look like they were made for splendor. And I go, why did you take some of that splendor away and use it for care, real care? Well, I won't comment. I won't comment on the um, situation here in Ontario with the long-term care homes because the pandemic really highlighted what a shit job we're doing. Now, you're not the only ones. Mark, do you have any other questions for Linda before we wrap up tonight? No, this is great. Thanks for hanging. This was this was a lot of fun. Very nice. Thank you for having me, and thank you for bringing light to. The seniors. Well, thank you. I'm so glad that you sent us the email, Linda. Is there anything else you'd like to say before we wrap up? Uh, not today. We'll, maybe we'll do this again another time. Yeah, absolutely. You guys have been listening to Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. Peace.